I learned a new phrase today, which maybe this is common, but I've just discovered it's called the whisper network, which I guess is the equivalent of a back channel. Have mm. you heard that phrase? Whisper network? Mm. No. I've heard of sneaker net though. Oh, what's that? That's when you just walk something from one desk to another. Sneaker net? Yeah. No, no, no. Sneaker net is where you go and bid on luxurious, rare sneakers made from fine sneaker purveyors such as Nike, Adidas. Yeah, it's like a Silk Road for shoes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sneaker net. Welcome to episode 391 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. I'm in your right ear. Brian's in your left ear. And how are Mm -hmm. you doing, Brian? Lovely. We got a chonky outline to get through. Yeah. Let's dig right in. All right. Before we get started, huge shout outs to our Golden Ratio supporters. First up is Around. Uh, The app we're using right now to record this podcast Around is lightweight video calls that float on your desktop. It's a video call tool, but it's designed for collaboration, not for having meetings. And designers love it. We love it. We're using it right this very second. Check it out at around.co slash design details. Also, huge shout out to Mailbrew. Mailbrew is your personal daily digest of all the stuff that you actually care about on the internet. I subscribe and get a digest every single day, saving me time keeping me off Twitter, keep me focused on my work. Plus, it just filters out all the crap. So get your own personal daily digest. Build it right now on a free trial at mailbrew.com slash DD. Thank you, Mailbrew. Thanks, Mailbrew and around. All right. We also have some new very important pixels today. Hey. Marshall, I'm smelling a competition coming. Oh, yeah? I know what I mean here in a second. All right. Huge shout outs to Sam McKay, Brian Caesar or Brian Cesar, Mm -hmm. one of the two. Niels, Joachim Dierks, Destiny Williams, Darren Cox, Lawrence Kersbergen, Trixie Woodhouse, Frederick Kloveborg, Brian Maniotakis, and Joe Graff. Nice. Now, here's what you'll notice that's interesting in today's list of VIPs, Marshall. Uh-huh. We've added two Brians to the crew. Oh. To the fam. All I'm saying is Brian's pulling ahead. I think yeah, we yeah, have yeah. like five, six, maybe seven Brian's in the gang right now. And I don't know how many Marshalls we have. At least two. We have you and then a Marshall with one L, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, well, these are Brian's with Y's, though. Uh, pronunciation matters more than spelling. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, maybe we need like a global Brian versus Marshall ticker somewhere. Yeah. Now we just need like a Brarshall. <laughs> Please, if your name is Brarshall, just please send us a buck so we can say it out loud. Please. (laughs) Change your Patreon name to Brarshall. (laughs) Hey, I mean, that's literally what we read off. We read off Patreon names. Yeah, whatever it is, we'll say it. The opportunity is right. Yeah, let's see what happens next week. All right. Okay. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for supporting the show this week. We appreciate you. Great list. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that... Listeners like you, yes, you, Trey from Hoboken, Hoboken, Trey, gosh dang it, why aren't you supporting the show? Uh, (laughs) Listeners like you help make this podcast possible from all of the software, hardware, and just the time it takes to put together the episodes every week. Uh, Everyone has come together on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. And for just a dollar a month, you can support the show, make it possible, and in return... 
you'll get access to a new supporter-only bonus episode, I guess we're calling it now, called mm-hmm. The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The Sidebar is an extra listener question, an extra design tip, an extra in-the-weeds design-specific topic, only for supporters. Basically, you can consider it a second episode every single week. So if you want to get access to everything design details, get that bonus episode in your feed, go to patreon.com slash design details. This week, we're talking all about typographic hierarchy in interface design. So if you want to hear about type hierarchy, that's patreon.com slash design details. Okay, let's get into our main topic. Yeah. This week's main topic comes to us from Twitter converted into a GitHub issue by... Alani Sanbira, hope I pronounced that correctly, Alani, asks, I feel like there's a lot of discussion around entry-level design portfolios. What's your take on senior-level portfolios? What do you think a seasoned designer should pay extra attention to when presenting themselves? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. This is a really nice question, because I agree, there is tends to be an overemphasis on like first portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first thing you need to get your foot in the door. Because everything becomes a whole lot easier after that. Yeah. But as you get more senior, what people are looking for and sort of the stakes of having a portfolio start to shift a little bit. Yeah. So we took some notes before the show. I think we agree on on basically like the high level ideas here. Like what should senior and above designers really be paying attention to? Uh, but we also asked on Twitter. So at the end of this section, I'll, I'll read out some answers from other really great designers on Twitter. So Yeah, and I haven't looked at those Twitter responses yet, so if I repeat somebody, it's not intentional. Oh, actually, well, to that point, it was it was great reinforcement because I wrote a bunch of my notes before asking on Twitter and mm-hmm. getting the tweets that like reinforced some of the answers like, yes, I was close. So there will be a little bit of overlap, but we also just got some different wording and like different ways of thinking about it on Twitter. Cool. Okay, so let's dive in. So I think as you become more senior projects become much more abstract. When you're presenting work, you're usually going to be talking less about features mm-hmm. and more about processes, systems, abstractions. Yeah. Not that you're not shipping features, but you've kind of leveled up and you're shipping products and products have points of view and like a strategic angle to why they're being built, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scope is different. Exactly. And so I think the most impressive like senior designers that I've interviewed are really, really good at telling the story of why the thing that they built needed to exist. They're really great at articulating why a certain problem existed for their customers, how they knew that was a problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. are they data-driven? Are they talking to customers? Like, how do they know that something is a problem? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that could be driven by just like intuition yeah. or gut feel or taste or something like that. But just like hearing them articulate why they know something was important. And not only why something was important, but also why it was important to work on in that moment. Like at any given time in our work, we could be working on a hundred different things. Yeah, Ideas are cheap. Everything you could possibly imagine has already been brainstormed by somebody before you. So the real question is like, why is this particular idea important at this particular time? Yeah. Why are you not saying no? Yeah. And if you can articulate that clearly, that demonstrates that you're involved in some level of strategic product thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've made some sort of analysis or weighed some sort of opportunity cost to building other things and decided on this. So I like hearing that articulated. Yeah. 
Uh, when we get into the work itself, I I mostly spend time asking people about trade-offs. And it doesn't even have to be anything like really grand or, or, or complicated. Like usually in an interview, like I can point at a button or a string and I'll ask like, what were the trade-offs of picking that particular interface element? And what I've found is that there are people who clearly know every single trade-off that was made to put a specific button in a specific place. There's like this proof that they've done the work because they know why everything is where it is. And being able to to articulate trade-offs is very challenging because, you know, you have to pick as you're presenting, like of all of the trade-offs, which ones were most important? How did you think through them? Who is involved in making the calls? On that note, actually, as you work on more and more complex things or more abstract things or work on products, it's going to be very rare that a designer did it all on their own, right? right, like, right, right. This is a, a team sport, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're maybe a more junior designer, you're like presenting a feature and you can say like, yeah, I designed the whole feature. But the more senior you go, like there's no way you're going to be able to say like, yeah, I did the whole product. Like, I, yeah, I did everything. Yeah. So I think what's really cool to hear is knowing what that person did specifically and like, can they walk you through that in a really clear way? Like, yeah, like look at this whole thing that we worked on. I did this, this, and this, and I worked with these people who did this, this, and this. I think this is really important for things like visuals because I don't know, Marshall, have you seen this? Like, Usually this happens at a bigger company, like a Facebook or a Google or a Spotify or like some of these big companies. And obviously lots of people have worked on those things. But what's really dangerous or misleading is to take a screenshot of Facebook or screenshot of Spotify mm-hmm. and say, you know, like, put that as the hero image for your portfolio. It's like, wait, 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 did you do the visuals as well? Like, did you design these buttons? Did you design the player? Or did you design this like one feature in the one corner, right? Mm. Or did you put together all these different things into this specific arrangement? Yeah. And it's fine that you didn't. Like most organizations at that size have design systems, right? Like you can call out like, nope, visuals are taken care of by the system. It was more important to figure out like the interaction design or the specific workflow. Like what were the sequences that we wanted users to follow, right? So just call that out. Be honest. Yep. <laughs> Talk about what you actually contributed and don't don't lie. Yep. And you can find out when people are lying by like asking why, why a certain thing is a certain way. And people who did it know the answer because they did it. And other people like kind of hem and haw and like try and work their way around. Uh, you know, thought about it, like worked with a lot of people on it. It's like, okay, you didn't do it. Got it. Mm-hmm. I always assume that the interviewer is intimately familiar with the stuff that you've done and knows the people that you worked on it with and can find out immediately if, if you're lying. It reminds yeah. me of a, a story. I used to work at an animation studio in college and my boss there told me a story of a guy who had come to interview and showed some animation work and took credit for it. And my boss was the one who had done it. So he asked him all these questions about it. And he was like, yeah, it was about the worst thing that could happen. Obviously the guy didn't get uh, hired. I'm not even sure if he pointed out to him that I know you're lying because that's my work, but that can happen to you. So don't take credit for things that aren't yours. There's a pretty good likelihood, this is a small world, so there's a good likelihood that the person who actually did that work is known by the person who's interviewing you. Don't lie. A hundred percent. This industry is so small. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can all just go ask the person, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah, so don't lie. Um, okay, the next point that I wrote down, I think that the output matters a lot. 
for every portfolio, the output matters. But if I'm looking at like a, a more junior portfolio, I can buy when the mock is very different from what shipped. And I can buy that because usually younger or more junior designers just don't have the organizational leverage or might not have the sort of sway within a company to fight for things like visual polish or attention to detail or things like that. So I can kind of buy, it's like, all right, well, at least they poured the time into the mock. And I'm like, all right, well, that this is what they wanted to build. And yeah, okay, what shipped wasn't quite as good. Mm-hmm. But the more senior you are, I think the, the tighter and tighter that gap should be because as you become more senior, you have more leverage in an organization to say this thing is important and we should fight for it and it it has to meet our quality bar before we're going to ship it. Like you're the person that can stop something from shipping if it's not good enough. So for me, I love looking at the actual artifact, like asking just straight up what shipped. And the best thing, the best answer possible is, oh, let me pull it up. Like here's the website. This is what we shipped. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, go download it on the App Store. It'll look basically like this. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my way into this conversation is is usually something like, what would you change about this? Because rarely do we ever ship the thing that we actually wanted to ship. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, there's always trade-offs. So it's interesting for me to hear, you know, if, if you had a magic wand and could wave yeah. it, what would change? Yeah, that's a good question. If you had a magic wand, if you had more time, more resources, what would you do differently? Because mm-hmm. it gives a, it, it's good insight into the things that I'm seeing, like, I don't know if I would have made that decision. I don't know if I would have done this. For them to call those things out before I ask them, like, hey, why'd you do this? Or why is this that way? It gives them an opportunity to say those things before I draw attention to them. Yeah, it's kind of dangerous, though, because I feel like as soon as you ask somebody, like, oh, why did you do this like that? They assume that you think it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They might get they might get defensive too early. But if they do think something is bad, I want them to call it out before I do, so yeah. that I know that they know that a thing that I think is bad is also something they think is bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hard. But yeah, that's a good one. I like to find examples of where the designer has found leverage in a system or a process. And they were able to use that leverage to make the product better, faster, more polished. You know, this can come in the form of like the tools that were used, discovering prior art, competitive analysis, research, data spelunking. Like what were the the low cost but high impact artifacts that informed this person's thinking? You know, like did they rely on system primitives because it allowed them to do X, Y, and Z faster and more efficiently? Like can you point out that they, they know what it means to have leverage when designing an interface. That's what I like to find out. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then this one's, I think, very rare, at least in my experience from interviewing folks. But when you see it, it's awesome, which is some sort of proof that this person has done some kind of sharing or writing, educating, or they play a role where they're inspiring the people around them. Like, is this person sharing about what they learned with each ship? Are they bringing their design org along for the ride? Uh, This usually would be like, you know, did you write a blog post uh, announcing this or at least something internal? Like, can you show me that? Was there some abstraction that came out of this project that made its way back into the design system? Like, can you prove that you identify ways for each individual ship to actually have even more value to the organization, not just your customers? Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I think that's rare, mostly because 
think it's hard to do and it's hard to find the time to do it, right? Like everyone's so busy just shipping things. It can be hard to find the time to do like the meta analysis and like writing the recap or writing the blog post or like documenting the thing for your teammates. Like that kind of thing just takes more time and effort and energy. But if you have examples of when you've done that, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm also interested to see if the change you've made or the things you've shipped have influenced the process or the system that was already in place. Like, is this a new thing or an evolution of an existing thing? And if so, how did you incorporate it in? And is it it now part of standards? Can other people use it? How did you document it in such a way that other people can use it? You know? Yeah, that's a good one. Another thing that I'm always uh, curious about and I think provides an opportunity for people to share some insight into how they work is to ask about how they've failed because they're going to be presenting you their best work, right? It's their best side and we don't always succeed all the time. So uh, I always ask, like, tell me about a time where you failed, where something that you thought was going to be good didn't turn out right. And then once you did fail, how did you know that you had failed? Was it through research or did you have an intuition before it went out? Or, you know, how how did you know that you fucked up and how did you fix it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good exercise in like, can this person be humble about their work, right? Mm-hmm. I hate everything I've done within a few months of having done it. So yeah, exactly. Like it's just inevitable. The more senior you become, like you're going to ship a lot of stuff that doesn't work. (laughs) Like that's the name of the game. So can you Mm -hmm. talk about it? Mm -hmm. Can you take things away from it? Yeah. Everybody fails. The question is, how do you react after you failed or how do you proact before you failed knowing that Mm -hmm. you're going to? Mm -hmm. All right, let's jump over to tweets. So I tweeted this out. I asked, uh, what should senior plus plus designers pay extra attention to when presenting their work in a portfolio review? At the time of this episode recording, uh, the tweet is like an hour old. So maybe some more tweets will come in after the fact. So we'll have a link to the tweet if you want to follow up and see who else replied. But at the Mm -hmm. time, I'll call out a few responses. The first one comes from Steph Angle, who says, paint the before really clearly to demonstrate impact in the after state. Mm. Storytelling. Don't limit that picture to the pixels as well, Steph says. Yeah, yeah. Paul Stamatiu a.k.a. Stammy, says, great work doesn't happen in isolation. Talk about the team every step of the way. Mm -hmm. How you partnered with the PM, how you mentored the designers on the team, how you iterated on something with an engineer or another designer. Love that. Diego Polito says, knowledge about how their role and work connects with and complements other team members and stakeholders. Strand Robertson says, explaining how the work had impact on the strategy or business explaining where their work could be leveraged by others. For example, they architected a system or framework that others were able to plug into, explaining how they partnered with others, especially other disciplines. Tuhin Kumar says, most senior designers have an area of focus, craft, product strategy, org wrangling, inclusion, etc. Do a 60-40. It should be clear what your strength is, but that you can handle the rest if needed. Mm. Amy Dutton tweeted, typography. I had a professor in college that said, what separates the good designers from the great designers is their typography. As a result, I've always paid extra special attention to type. Nice mm. uh, little shout out here for the sidebar because we're hey. talking all about yeah. type hierarchy this week. Nice. Uh, the last tweet I have here at the time of this recording comes from Brian Hinton. Brian actually left a string of tweets. I'll read the first one. Brian says, show work that involves you leading junior designers. You should call out the work of your teammates in your work. 
how did you guide your teammates to successful outcomes? This was nice. I would, yeah. We'll do this more often. Let's get some more Twitter opinions to, yeah. to augment our A recording. lot of feedback within a very short amount of time. It's not like we waited to the last second to ask this question or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. So we'll have a link to that tweet. So be sure to let us know if this was helpful for you, Alani. Thanks so much for asking the question. Yeah, good one. Cool things? Let's do some cool things. You can go first, bud. All right. This week I have a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. which... I've discovered you've already heard about. Uh, of course I have. <laughs> okay, so this YouTube channel is a guy named Ennis Yilmazer. Yilmazer? Do you know how to pronounce his last I name? I don't know how to He said it a couple times. I, we just call him Ennis, but yeah. Yeah, he, he just says, hey, it's, it's Ennis. And mm-hmm. what does Ennis do? Well, en- <laughs> Ennis uh, tours really, really expensive houses, mm-hmm. usually in Los Angeles, but he started branching out into, I think he did one in Tahoe and a few in New York. Yep. But mostly L.A., and we're talking like $40 million houses, right? Mm-hmm. Like the most egregiously, disgustingly expensive houses you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But he, he balances it out. You know, there's like a, a $10 million house here, a $5 million house there, some stuff in between. Yeah, but I think his most yeah, yeah, popular yeah. videos are like the $30 plus million houses, the crazy ones. Yeah. So anyways, this Ennis somehow at some point popped up in my recommendations. And I watched a video and I found the style to just be very compelling so Mm -hmm. he just does a very comfortable well-paced and well-articulated walkthrough of the house he uses language that teaches me about things like he's teaching me architectural terms or decorative terms that i wouldn't have known about like Mm -hmm. i didn't know what book matched marble meant Uh and i like dug in and figure out what book matched marble is so he's he's a great communicator he just does these nicely paced walkthroughs of very expensive houses and the reason that i like this channel is not because i'm aspiring to ever own a house like that but really because i want to find the like small details that are really really cool or inspiring so some of the details that I've bookmarked like, damn, this one house had this really cool way that like the wood railing from the outside extended to the wood railing on the inside and like the entrance was just glass or like some houses have a really unique way of putting hinges on cabinetry or mm-hmm. a really unique way of like floating a vanity. Like these smaller things that might apply to one element in one room, I like taking note of those like, okay, I want to have that someday in a future home. Like this is a a remodel request, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, you've heard of this guy. What do you think of, did I describe those videos, the style correctly? Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, there's a bunch of channels on YouTube. We we're talking about this a little bit beforehand. A bunch of channels that do something like this, but Innis is by far the best. He speaks like a normal human being. He's not trying, you can tell he's kind of putting on his realtor, you know, character a little bit, uh-huh, but like yeah. um, he's talking with his cameraman, Mikey, a lot. So there's like, you know, a back and forth dynamic there where Mikey will be like, hey, what's this thing? And Ennis will give a little explanation of why that thing is the way it is. Yeah, the things he points out are always interesting to know. And yeah, you do pick up on all these specific things like, oh, I didn't, I never heard of Fleetwood doors before. What are Fleetwood doors? Here's one thing that I've noticed, Marshall. I, okay, so let's just get this out of the way. Every house he tours is egregiously expensive, mm-hmm. like multi-million dollar houses. But one thing that I've noticed is I really prefer watching the videos where he tours like a $5 million house much more than the tours of the $30 million houses. And I guess it depends on what you're looking for. But from my point of view, all these like $30 million behemoths, they just look really lonely. Like I would be so fucking lonely living there. 
mm-hmm. versus the smaller, you know, quote unquote, smaller, like five bedroom, yeah, <laughs> five yeah, million yeah. Well, dollar like, houses. You know, 6,000 square feet or so. Yeah. Small. Yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. They're smaller, but <laughs> it's like, okay, like there's a living space here. Like this is where people would live. This isn't a place only useful if you have a hundred people over all the time. I don't know. Do you yeah. get that feeling? That's kind of, I gravitate towards the smaller ones. Yeah, I I gravitate towards the larger ones, but usually oh, because they have the details that I'm interested in seeing. Like, mm. you know, you always want to see what the primary suite looks like. You always want to see what, you know, the bathroom and the kitchen looks like. Like, what kind of materials did they choose? I don't know. I'm always looking for inspiration, even if the style of the home isn't something that I'm into. There's always some little nugget you can find in there. So I, I, yeah. we watch yeah. every video. That's fair. I think if I had to really hone in, it's the big monsters always have way too much closet space. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't need a closet that big. Well, it's all duplication. Those big monster houses, the reason they get to the square feet that they get to is it's duplication. There's three living rooms and there's two family rooms and two kitchens and yeah. seven bedrooms. And, you know, there's an outdoor dining space and an indoor dining space and an outdoor living space. You know, there's uh, everything that you would want, plus all the things you don't need. And then multiple of those. <laughs> That's how they get to those big numbers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, good choice. That's a very, very cool thing. All right. What's yours? Uh, mine is a little bit more quotidian. Um, okay. So I've always had trouble falling asleep. I don't know about you, but I, I lay in bed and I think, and then you know, two hours later, I look at the clock and then I despair, and then I lay there and I think, and then I despair. You know what I mean? This, this vicious happens. cycle, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. But I've found a way out of that cycle. And it's two things for me, Brian. One is I've started listening to my current audiobook as I fall asleep. Um, and I also set a timer, like a sleep timer on Audible, so it'll automatically fade out after 30 minutes. That's number one. Number two is I have a weighted blanket. I don't know yeah. if you've ever slept mm-hmm. with a weighted blanket before, Brian. Is this new to you? No, go ahead. I'll tell you my weighted blanket story. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so I, I put a weighted blanket between the comforter and the top sheet. And between listening to an audiobook and that weighted blanket, I sleep like a fucking baby now, man. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I get seven to eight hours every single night. It's, I finally, it's taken me almost 40 years, but I finally found the formula to fall asleep in a reasonable amount of time. So that's so key. That's yeah. Super useful. I don't know. I should get a weighted blanket. I've had, I've used a weighted comforter before and where Mm. I experienced this first was in a hotel Mm. and we were in a hotel for like three or four nights and they had a weighted comforter. So comforter style, right? Like kind of floofy, but it was a little bit thick thinner and it was heavy that thing put some pounds on Mm -hmm. and i slept so well during that visit that i called the hotel when i got home and was like hey random question who makes your duvet and (laughs) Uh nobody could answer i could never figure it out oh wow uh they like even went and looked and like they didn't have the branding on them or something Mm. so anyways i need to pick up a weighted blanket but i really enjoyed that like heavier comforter style as well Yeah, there are different types of them. The one I have is filled with ceramic beads. It's like a quilt style top with squares and each of the Uh squares has like sand in it, essentially. Uh And the whole blanket weighs, I think, 20 pounds, the ones we got. But it's about the size of like a a twin bed comforter. And I I think we got a Bed Bath & Beyond. It was like 
not cheap. It was like 80 bucks, but you can spend a lot of money. Um, that's on the lower end of these things. But uh, there are ones that cool you that because like this, this one that I have now will get hot in the summer months mm-hmm. uh, and it's starting to warm up now. So I'm worried about what's going to happen in the summer. But yeah, it, it's it's been a huge benefit to my sleep cycle. It's crazy. Good. Who would have thought? Just some Who'd weight. I'm glad you finally made it. Now you can enjoy the last 40 years of your life. <laughs> yeah, right. Halfway through. Halfway through. Halfway. Fuck. These are the kinds of things like, God, if only you had discovered it sooner. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here. This has been episode 391 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you did and you aren't supporting us yet on Patreon, uh, please consider doing that. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, you could support us for just a dollar a month. We made this as literally as approachable and accessible as we could. That's the lowest we can go on Patreon. It's a dollar a month, and in return, you get access to a second episode every week. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar is like an extra listener question, an extra like design tip or trick. Basically a second episode, maybe a little bit shorter, and it's going to be always design related. So if you want to hear that, uh, this week we're talking all about typographic hierarchy and interface design. You can grab that, our backlog of sidebars, and all future sidebars going forward at patreon.com slash design details. So thank you everyone who supported us this week. And yeah, we'll catch you next week. Bye. I just realized I need to do sidebar, sidebar. I missed it. <laughs> you can edit that in now. Yeah, I'll, I'll edit. <laughs> I'll, I'll fix it later. You've just you've just destroyed the. <laughs> if people find out that we're editing in the echoes, <laughs> you know, maybe the whole illusion will just credibility fall apart. ruined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>